0: So the first time I ever heard this fellow's name mentioned, I I heard it as Tychicus, and so that just kind of stuck with me. So if you'll allow me, I'm just going to stick with that mispronunciation of his name, um, Tychicus. Um, But I have heard other pastors, in fact, not only as I was researching this from the scriptures, but just hearing what some other pastors and teachers had to say about this person in the scriptures, and some of them are prominent pastors, they would pronounce his name Tychicus, Tychicus, and then others Tychicus. So again, even though we don't pronounce the name right, here's the important thing this morning. The characteristics of this person are crystal clear, and there's no way to misunderstand that. And that's what I believe the Lord impressed on my spirit that he wanted me to share with you today. Because though this person is lesser known than many of the names that we hear and are familiar with in the New Testament, such as Paul, the Apostle Paul, and Peter, and James and John, and all of those, this individual had a huge impact on the first century church and ultimately uh, what has come down to us as well. In fact, the Apostle Paul mentions him in four different letters that are in the New Testament, and Luke actually mentions him first in his historical account in Acts. So we're going to take a look at Acts chapter 4 beginning or Acts chapter 20 beginning at verse 4, and what Paul is doing here is he is or what Luke is doing is he is documenting Paul's third missionary journey as he is revisiting the churches that he started during his first two trips. So just to give you a little bit of background, Paul, at this point, had been in Greece for about three months, probably including time in Corinth there. And he was getting ready to head back to his homeland to sail towards Syria and then to head on down to Jerusalem but because he had gotten a report of some death threats against him, he decided it would be better to secretly take a different route and go back the way that he had come. So we pick it up in Acts chapter 20, verse 4. And I've got it on the screen, and now it's kind of hard for you to see, but this is kind of the teacher part within me. Um, so if you can see on the screen there, one of the land masses, I have the, the kind of the oval, and that is the territory of Macedonia or Macedonia or however people pronounce it. So Paul was in Greece and then he decided, instead of sailing across the ocean and going back over to Syria, he decided to go back up through that route. And then you see Philippi is mentioned on the map there. I've got that pointed out. And so when he went up that way, they did have to sail from Philippi to Troas. So this is what Luke is describing in this passage in Acts chapter 20, verse four. He, Paul, was accompanied by Sopater, son of Pyrrhus, from Berea, Aristarchus and Segundus from Thessalonica, and again, I'm probably not pronouncing these right, but Gaius or Gaius from Derby, Timothy also, and and Trophimus from the province of Asia. So there is the first mention of this person in um, the New Testament. Now, Asia is that section, that landmass where Troas is and Ephesus and Colossae and some of those uh, cities So I just want you to know that was his homeland, so that's where he was from. The other thing that struck me as I was reading this again, I don't know, I can't speak for you obviously, but for me when I read about the Apostle Paul and some of his missionary journeys, yeah, I know that Timothy was with him and there's some familiar names, but for some reason I never thought of this huge entourage of people that the Apostle Paul had travel with him, and we see evidence of that here as you listen to me read all of those different names. So the way that I would kind of compare it to today, it's not a great comparison, but it would be like uh, by the time Paul went on this third missionary journey, people were beginning to know about him and he was gaining in popularity, especially among uh, the followers of Christ that were developing, and certainly among the Jewish people that weren't sure what to believe about Jesus or what they thought of Paul. So the the nearest thing I can think of is today when there's an evangelistic crusade, and certainly we think of Billy Graham and the great evangelism crusades that he put on. And when he would go into a town, it wasn't just Billy Graham and two or three of his associates. He sent an entire team of people ahead to the towns where he was going to go to get everything ready so that when he arrived, he knew there would be a place for him to speak and a place to stay and all of this. And so really we're seeing evidence of this here in this passage In Acts that Luke records, there was all of these people who were helping Paul and assisting him as he was traveling and sharing the good news about Jesus. And so Tychicus was one of those team members. So Luke writes that eventually after they met up, oh well, let me finish reading that next passage there. It says in in verse 5 of Luke 20, these men went on ahead and waited for us at Troas, But we sailed from Philippi after the festival of Unleavened Bread and five days later joined the others at Troas where we stayed for seven days. That's why I kind of wanted you to see the map so you can understand what this is talking about. The other thing that's interesting is we know that Luke traveled with Paul and that of course is how Luke got a lot of his information, not only for the book of Acts that is in our New Testament, that historical, accurate historical account, it's not a fairy tale, it's not something that's made up. And also, it's where Luke got a lot of his information that he could put in the Gospel of Luke because he had spent time traveling with these apostles and learning about their personal experience with Christ. So, when it says but, uh, that these men went on ahead of us, waited for us at Troas, but we sailed from Philippi, this is really cool because this is Luke saying that he was with Paul on these journeys. That's why he refers to it as we and us. All right, so... Um, After they met up in Troas, they did end up, Paul ended up coming back to his homeland. So on the map now, you you can see over here on the right, I've got it kind of two uh, ovals. Jerusalem is the lower right area. When Paul got back into town in Jerusalem, there was a cancel culture, just like there is today. There were people that did not agree with Paul's message. They didn't want to hear from him, and they wanted to do anything they could to shut him up and shut him down. And so, like we have seen in the culture today, there was fake news, people were saying things about Paul that was absolutely not true, and then on top of that, because they wanted to discredit Paul, they began to start riots and unrest. And again, I'm not trying to get political here today, church, I'm just, I want you to see the reality of how the dynamics in Paul's time in Scripture absolutely relate to us today and people are people, and politics is politics, and culture is culture, and religion is religion. And so this is what Paul was dealing with, all of these odds and all of these challenges, and here's the good news, Christ, in the midst of all that, was able to use Paul to speak the truth and to do it in love and to be firm in his convictions, and many, many people came to know Christ. And we're the uh, benefactors of that today still. What Paul wants us to do and what Christ wants us to do is to make a positive difference in the community around us, and we're going to see that in just a moment in some of the things that we read. So there were people that started these false rumors about Paul. They stirred up a riot and a mob, and so Paul was arrested, and he was taken into custody, and then as he was standing on trial, kind of like a local governmental trial, Paul said, you know what? I'm not even going to waste my time um, arguing with you all here. I'm going to go to the highest court in the land and in the empire. And Paul made this statement, I appeal to Caesar. When Paul said in that courtroom there in Jerusalem, I appeal to Caesar, then legally at that point, they needed to transport Paul from Jerusalem and take him directly to Rome where he would be on trial for his supposed crime that didn't take place and he was gonna defend himself in the empire's capital at that time. Be like today, taking a case to the Supreme Court. So, they took him to Caesarea, which is the next little circle that you can see, or the oval up there, hopefully a little higher up, and they sailed, and you can read about this in, uh, in the last few chapters of the book of Acts, and they went on this treacherous voyage and Paul was under Roman guard and he was kept under house arrest once he arrived in Rome, but it involved a, a, a terrible storm, a shipwreck that took him off course, I have that on there a little bit, and then they sailed on up till finally, they were able to get to Italy, And make their way on up to Rome. And again, you can read about this in Acts chapters 21 through 28 and get more of the details. But while Paul was in Rome, here's the good thing. He was not put in some dark dungeon cell while he was in Rome. Because of the nature of this whole thing, he was simply kept under Roman guard and was placed under house arrest. So while he was in this residence or this house arrest, wherever it was, he could receive visitors, people could come and go. And so even though he couldn't really leave, he could work there in that home. And that's when Paul used that time to communicate a lot with the churches that he had interacted with during his first couple of, well, his first three missionary journeys. So it was during this time that the Apostle Paul wrote what we have in the New Testament today as the letter to the Ephesians and the letter to the Colossians and also to Philemon. Now, gave you all that background just so it sets the stage for what hopefully we can go through, and, and you'll get the main point. So, if if you, if you if I lost you on any of that, just focus in now. Here's the letter that Paul writes to the church back in Ephesus uh, that he wants them to get word about him while he's in in uh, under house arrest in Rome. Ephesians six verses twenty one through twenty two, and here's where he mentions Tychicus. Tychicus the dear brother and faithful servant in the Lord will tell you everything so that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. I am sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. So here's the first thing that we notice. Look at the words that the Apostle Paul used to describe this person Tychicus, this man. And I know it may seem obvious, but I think it's really important. Sometimes we think something's obvious and we read it and we skim over it. I want us to really settle in and and think about these words. First of all, I described him as dear. Literally, Tychicus was beloved by Paul. He was valued. He was appreciated. Can people say that about you? Do people look at you and do they say, yeah, that is a dear person or they're dear to me, they're beloved, I really appreciate them, I value them. Uh, He was referred to as a brother. Now again, it wasn't obviously talking about a biological brother, but that term was used and that can be like a familial type of a relationship, that's why a lot of times you know, in church we we kind of refer to each other as brothers and sisters in Christ because we're just one big family. And God is our father, so we've got to learn to get along as family members. We've got a lot of sibling rivalry in the church, though, I've got to say it. <laughs> but that's not the way it ought to be. We ought to be learning to get along as brothers and sisters, but sometimes we don't. But anyway, so it's not only talking about that, but think of it in this way, because also you can refer to somebody as a brother or a sister if they're a coworker, or an associate or a colleague in whatever you do. So Tychicus was valued and appreciated as a colleague, an associate, and a co-worker. Could someone say something about, or say about you that way in whatever place that you're at, where you work, or uh, in your neighborhood. Also he was described as being faithful. That word faithful means loyal and dependable. You can count on them. I mean, yeah, things happen in life, but their heart is to want to be with you and be loyal and helpful and dependable. And then he's described as being a servant in the Lord, so he, he had a heart of wanting to help, but it was for the purpose of honoring Christ. Could someone say that about you? Or could you even say that about yourself? This is the whole point of the message. Can we be inspired by someone who is lesser known in the New Testament and yet had a huge impact? Could perhaps that same thing happen in my life and your life, and the answer is yes. My prayer, my hope is this message today will inspire you. If you feel like you're a behind-the-scenes person and you have no desire to be in the spotlight or up front, you just like to help people out, then this message is for you. And it really does apply to all of us. He was also a positive communicator and an encourager. Though it doesn't, Paul doesn't use that term. Listen to what he says. He said, I'm sending him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage you. That means that Paul trusted Tychicus that when he delivered these letters, he wasn't going to go to these people in these churches and go, well, here's a letter from Paul, but let me tell you, it was just really rough up there. And and, things really stink right now, and I just don't like the way it is. And, you know, I'm really worried about the church, and I'm worried about where we're at in the culture. And, no, (laughs) Paul knew him well enough to know that he could trust him, that he was going to be a trustworthy person. talker, and that he would be sure that he was communicating accurately what was going on, and that Paul was still being positive, even in the midst of all that he was going through, that they could trust Christ, that God was over all, and he would help them through. So we see these characteristics. So now the second letter that the Apostle Paul writes is the letter to the church at Colossae. And so let's take a look at it in Colossians chapter 4, verses 2 through 9. And we're going to see Tychicus mentioned here again. Right before he mentions him, though, he he writes a message to the church that I think is, again, applicable to us today. Because when Paul wrote to the believers in that church at Colossae, by the way, from all of the writings that we read in the New Testament about Paul, as far as we can tell, he never actually went to the city of Colossae. But he wanted to go there. In fact, we read that in Philemon, in the letter to Philemon. But anyway, we do have a really strong sense that though he never actually went to the city of Colossae, we know for a fact that Paul spent a lot of time in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus is only 100 miles west of Colossae. And so that distance was really, even in those days with the travel, they did have have Roman roads and things, so it wasn't that hard to travel a hundred miles. And so the length of time that Paul spent in Ephesus teaching and, and preaching and doing all those things, it's not unreasonable to think that The leaders in the church at Colossae and some people from that town probably traveled to Ephesus to hear Paul teach and to get to know him. And so there was this relationship, even though he had not actually been to that town. I'll come back to that in just a moment. So Paul is writing now to the believers in that city and the church in that city to say, look, I know it's difficult, the times that we're living in, and there's a lot of ungodly things in the culture. But instead of you allowing the culture to change your beliefs and your attitudes, devote yourself to Christ in such a way that as you learn to live for him, you will actually be a positive influence on the culture around you. Don't let the culture influence you to the point where you lose your faith but let your faith and Christ's spirit in you influence the culture to where they would begin to see the truth and believe. So in Colossians chapter four, verse two, we'll pick it up there, he says this, devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful and thankful. Boy, I mean, I could do a whole message right there on that one statement. I don't know about you, I do pray every day, but I read this and the Lord challenges me, it's like, Mark are you really being devoted to prayer? It's like I know you pray to me and I know you ask me for things and you believe but are you devoting yourself to prayer? And I guess my answer would be well yeah I mean long term I do because I I know I need to pray. I never wanna stop praying. I'm grateful for the gift of prayer but do I really set aside that time each day like I should to say I'm gonna push out all of the distractions and I'm gonna spend a devoted amount of time just in concentrated prayer? Some days I do some days I don't. And so this challenges me, and, and I hope it would encourage you. One of the things that we're doing here now, we started this around the first of the year, is on Wednesdays, every Wednesday at noon, there's some of us that meet here in the church. It's open to anyone, and I realize if you got a daytime job it's tough and you can't get here, but for those that can, uh, and so you're invited if you can make it, but we just meet here in the worship center and we kind of spread out, And we pray for two main things. We pray for the church, first of all, Porterfield and the church around the world. And we pray for our nation because obviously both of those things need a lot of prayer. That's the main focus of our prayer time. Not that we can't pray for people who are ill and have physical problems and all that, but there are so many other venues of people that are praying in that way. We believe that that time midweek at noon, we just want to pray for the church and for the nation. So I would invite you, even if you can't come and join us here, if you are working and you could take 10 minutes even to step aside or on your lunch break, just wherever you're at, just pray to the Lord and kind of join us in prayer, though we're not together physically. You could join us in the Spirit to pray for Porterfield, pray for the church around the world, pray for our nation. So devote yourselves to prayer, being watchful, and here's the word thankful. Too many times, if things aren't going the way that we like for them to go, we gripe and we complain. And Paul says, don't be that way. Fight that urge to be that way and find things to be thankful for and thank God in prayer in those ways. And then he goes on and he says, and pray for us too, that God may open a door for our message so that we may proclaim the mystery of Christ for which I am in chains. So we know that Paul wrote this while he was under house arrest or in prison. That was his term, while I'm in chains. But his desire was, even in this state, I want to make sure that I'm talking about Christ and sharing the good news of what he has done. He goes on and he writes in this letter, Pray that I may proclaim it clearly as I should. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. So now Paul is talking to believers in the church and he's saying, you need to be wise in the way that you interact with people who are not believers yet. You you need to be mindful of that. So listen to what he says. Be wise in the way you act toward outsiders. Make the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of grace, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how to answer everyone. I know I talk about this a lot, but I do it because I believe it needs to be. I think if Paul... We're here today in our culture, and he saw some of the things that we as believers post on Facebook, he would cringe. And I believe he would give the same message to us today. What are you doing? You're having an opportunity to influence so many people who are unbelievers, and you're not speaking with much grace right now. You're spree- speaking with condemnation with judgmentalism now again Paul was all about speaking the truth and doing it in love and that's why he says our speech needs to be seasoned with salt it needs to be effective it, it shouldn't just be tasteless and be like well it really doesn't matter what anybody believes and everything is just okay and we're just all warm and fuzzy and we love God and God loves us and it's okay there's no salt in that that's like eating a piece of food and you're like Ugh, this thing is lacking something and you put the salt on it and it's like oh okay now it's got some flavor Our speech needs to have flavor. It needs to be effective. It's okay to speak out against things that are wrong. But again, you need to do it with grace. Grace means undeserved favor. We're all guilty of things that deserve punishment and condemnation. So we're all sinners, myself included. And that's why I need Jesus. And that's why I'm grateful for Jesus, that he has offered that forgiveness and grace and cleansing for my life, not just for something I did in the past or something that happened a long time ago, but every day when I get up and the things when I'm tested and tried in and tempted in. And whether I feel like I I succeed or I fail, I can go to him and say, Lord, thank you for your grace. I don't deserve this, but Lord, I want to live for you. Forgive me, help me. Help me to keep staying in step with you. That describes a repentant life. It doesn't mean you're a perfect person, but your heart is to constantly want to turn to Christ and have him to help you live through this world. That's what grace is, undeserved favor. And so that's what the Apostle Paul says. That's how we need to be approaching people who haven't yet come to believe in Christ. So he goes on, and now's where he mentions Tychicus in verse 7. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. Here to get, listen to the way he describes him again in this different letter. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and a fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. See, he was a communicator. He was someone that was sent from Paul with a message, and Paul trusted him that he was going to be able to have that conversation and update the people and that they could trust him. He is coming, in verse 9, he is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. For some of you, that's not going to mean a whole lot. But if you were here with us a few weeks ago, when I began this series, when Paul wrote the letter to Philemon, and the message title for that Sunday was A Portrait of Grace, talking about undeserved favor, and if you remember, Onesimus was a runaway slave. I nicknamed him Oni. And Oni was a runaway slave who came across Paul's path, accepted Christ, and then began to follow Paul and to serve and help him, even though he was in danger of being arrested and taken back to his owner, his master. Again, which was a terrible thing. But... Paul wrote this letter to the slave owner whose name was Philemon. So it's one of the letters we have in the New Testament. And when Paul wrote to Philemon, he told Philemon, Philemon, I know that you've accepted Christ and you're a follower of Jesus. I want you to know that your runaway slave, Oni, we've crossed paths. He's accepted Christ. He's one of us now. So I want to make sure that things are right between you and him, and I want to make sure that things are right between me and you, So I'm sending Oni back to you, and I want you to receive him not as a slave, but as a brother in Christ. That's awesome. That is the most strong statement against slavery that we see in the Old Testament. So don't let anybody tell you that the Bible condones slavery. The Bible just speaks of the reality of slavery and how it existed in those times and how the culture dealt with it. But we see the heart of God and the heart of Christ in Paul's Uh, instructions to Philemon to say, look, we all have been purchased, so to speak, by the blood of Jesus. He gave his life for you and me and everybody. So if we're slaves to anybody, we should be slaves to Christ. And yet Christ doesn't call us his slave. He calls us friends. And so this is a powerful message. And so the reason I'm bringing this up is Paul specifically mentions Onesimus is going to Colossae, the city of Colossae, with Tychicus. So again, this says a lot about who Tychicus was in his grace and, and in his uh, fellowship with other believers. This also gives us a clue because in the city of Colossae is most likely where Philemon lived and had his business and uh, owned his slaves. So now we see that Paul is uh, saying to um, to the church in Colossae, he's saying Onesimus is coming back to town. All this ties together to say that while Paul was in prison in Rome, he probably wrote these three letters that I've mentioned this morning, Ephesus, Colossians, and Philemon were probably all written fairly close together, and then they gave, he gave these letters to Tychicus to deliver to these churches because on that route, when, he, when Tychicus would go back to Ephesus and to Asia where he was from, he could drop these letters off and meet these people. Look again at the description. I'll go ahead and put it up on the screen. He was a dear brother, a beloved valued friend and companion, He was a faithful minister, he was dependable, a loyal person who served others. He was a coworker, colleague, and associate, but he he did it for the purpose of glorifying Christ and being a good witness for Christ. And again, he was a positive person to talk to, he was an encourager. Could someone say that about you? If not, again, I just encourage you to begin to let your attitude change to where you could begin to put these characteristics in place in your life to be a blessing to others. Two final times here he is mentioned. The next time he is mentioned is in a letter uh, to Titus. Titus was a person who was not a Jewish person who had heard Paul preach, accepted Christ, and began to follow Paul and wanted to be part of his team. We're not sure when Paul wrote this letter to Titus Um, but I want you again to listen to what he says in here because this is an indication that even though this was probably written after Paul got out of prison, uh, so he was acquitted or let off and he was eventually able to leave uh, Rome from that first time of being in prison, uh, at some point after that is when he wrote this. Titus chapter three, verse eight. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. Here again, Paul is saying the most effective way that we can honor Christ with our life is to look around and to do things that are good in the community, that benefits everyone, that doesn't just just help a select few uh, people or a certain people group, but look for something that is going to be thoughtful and helpful for everyone. Meet those needs that people have. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. There he says it again, verse 9. But avoid foolish controversies and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time, and after that have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a person or such people are warped and sinful, and they are self-condemned. Notice he says self-condemned. There's so much I could say about this, but there are so many topics today that we could focus on and talk about and get off the track that would keep us from talking about Christ and talk about this issue or that issue and what we think, and we're missing the point, and Paul says don't get caught in that trap. And if somebody is doing that and they're focusing more on that than they're focusing about Christ and his love and forgiveness and what Christ wants us to do in this world, warn them once, Warn them a second time, and if they haven't learned and they don't listen to you after two times, then just walk away. When he says have nothing further to do with them, he's not saying, you know, to like hate them and all that. He's just saying it's going to be a waste of time. If you've tried a couple of times and they're not going to listen, it's just kind of a waste of time, so just leave it in God's hand. Trust that God will maybe use somebody else, but you need to move on, and you need to focus on what God wants you to do. Otherwise, you're just going to be spending a lot of time spinning your wheels. Verse 12 is when he mentions Tychicus. He says, as soon as I send Artemis or Tychicus to you, do your best to come to me at Nicopolis because I've decided to winter there. Do everything you can to help Zenos the lawyer and Apollos on their way and see that they have everything they need. You see, the focus for Paul was always on Who are the people that are serving Jesus and doing his will and let's support them so that the gospel can continue to spread. And then he says this in verse 14. Our people, followers of Jesus, our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good in order to provide for urgent needs and not to live unproductive lives. Here again, Paul says, if you're a follower of Jesus, you should be doing things that are productive with your life. positive and and making a good difference in the world. Last mention of Tychicus in one of Paul's letters is now further on from that date, and he's writing now to Timothy, who was also one of his uh, younger um, protégés who had come to trust Christ and was helping Paul in ministry, and then Paul would put him in charge of certain churches to help out. So now at this time when Paul's writing this letter, he is probably in more of a Dank, Roman prison cell. Um, He has a sense that probably his life may be coming to an end, that he may be put to death for his faith. And we can read about that uh, if you read the whole letter. But I just want to read this one little section because he mentions here before he closes his letter um, something. He says to Timothy as he's sending this letter to Timothy, he says, do your best to come to me quickly For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and is going to Thessalonica. So I want to stop there for a moment. So one of the entourage of Paul, we don't know what happened, what changed in Demas's life or his attitude, but at some point Demas felt like, you know what, Paul, it's been a good ride and and I've been trying to help you but I need to go do this. And whatever it was, it was something that really wasn't serving the Lord. He began to be influenced, it sounds like probably from the culture. And he decided that it was too, costing him too much to follow Paul. So he just wanted to leave and go back to Thessalonica. And again, whatever it was in the world there, that's what he decided to pursue. I read that and it kind of concerns me, for me, because sometimes I ask myself this question. wow. Are there times in my life when I can be kind of like a Demas, where it's like I, I want to follow you, Jesus, and I want to do your will, but man, I'm getting influenced by all these other things in the world, and I'm just feeling myself pulled that way. Lord, help me not, help me not to desert you. Help me to stay loyal. This is what Tychicus, this is the example Tychicus sets for us that was different. So he goes on and he says, Crescens is going to Galatia. That wasn't a deserting him. He was just saying, these, these people that were with me, they're going on in ministry and doing things now. Crescens is going to Galatia, Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Here again, we see Luke who was able to record this in Acts as well as writing the gospel of Luke. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. Here again, Paul says, you know what, Tychicus, this guy, he's not mentioned a whole lot, but he has been trustworthy. He has been faithful. And even though I'm here in prison, I I wanted to send him uh, to Ephesus to, to work there and to help. And so go ahead and put that last slide up. Again, this is just a review. And I know this has been a bit redundant, but I think it's important. Sometimes just the simplest message can sometimes have the most impact on our lives. So if we would be inspired by Tychicus, if you're a person who again doesn't has no desire to be in the spotlight or to be upfront or you feel like you don't have a lot to offer maybe to God or to others, you do. And God wants to use you even behind the scenes to help those that he's called to be more upfront or to be more outgoing or whatever. But here's the character traits that you could have and develop within yourself even if you're a behind the scenes person like Tychicus was. Just Be faithful to Jesus, be loyal, dependable. Be loyal in your friendships, especially your friendships to those who are in the church and trying to serve God. Be trustworthy in your talk. Can people really, you know, when they hear you talk, are they going to be, well, Like you know, they said that, but sometimes they say this, sometimes they say that, and I don't know what to believe. So are you trustworthy in your talk? Are you dependable in service? Are you reliable, responsible? Are you just honest and genuine with people? And are you encouraging? These are the traits that Tychicus had. (laughs) And though none of us say his name right, including me, the character traits are amazing. Would you stand and let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for um, the example that we see in the character traits of Tychicus, this man, that uh, you had a special work to do. And Lord, as the Apostle Paul sent Tychicus out with a message to deliver um, that wasn't his message, it wasn't Tychicus's message, it was the message you gave to Paul and then he was just the one that communicated it. Help us, Lord, as your followers to see that that's what you've called us to do. You've sent us out with a message to just simply talk about what we're learning, to talk about what your scripture says, to share it, to learn to live by it. And even with all of our flaws and our failures and our sins to keep seeking you and walking in that repentance and that new life and asking you for your continued forgiveness and grace and help us then to walk in a new way, to turn from the ways that are displeasing to you and to begin to learn to honor you with our life so that we can be productive and we could do things that are helpful, not for just a select few, but that are helpful to everyone. So I thank you again for your message today. I thank you for your Holy Spirit. And now, Lord, as we prepare our hearts to remember you, Lord Jesus, and what you've given for us through your life, death, and resurrection, I just pray that we'll honor you uh, through this time of communion together in your precious name. Amen.